You are listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a show covering the hometown Milwaukee Brewers as we analyze the roster, report on the latest rumors, and discuss their quest to bring the World Series trophy to Milwaukee for the first time. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Go. Hi everyone, this is David. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the first episode of 2022 on our Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Thanks for joining us. Just wanted to mention that we actually recorded this a few weeks ago, so a little bit of the discussion on the lockout at the beginning will be a little bit outdated. They did meet and they did have a little bit of progress that came about that, so we're going to be talking about that in our next episode, but just wanted to update you as you listen to the podcast. So without further ado, here is episode one of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast in 2022. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter. Here for another episode, we're back. David, I know there's so much going around in baseball. We couldn't help but get on another episode today. How have you been since our last episode? Pretty good. It's been a long time since we uh, since we last met. I I did hear that the the two sides are considering meeting uh, pretty soon. So breaking news. Uh, this is this is really going to be happening quick. Um, it if we uh, look at the precedent that's been set in other sports leagues and other other uh, MLB work stoppages, it seems like we probably won't have a deal for at least another month. But I guess we'll have to see on that, and hopefully it ends sooner rather than later. But uh, don't really have great trust for both Manfred and for the the uh, the players' association being willing to uh, perhaps lower their their requests on uh, the, the negotiating table. Yeah, not much we can do, but continue to to break down our all-time Brewers roster. Give your you know, give you your typical trivia question and continue on our Brewers history lessons. That's what we've got for today. Our trivia question, I think it's a good one today. David, I'll give this one for you this time. Who is the only Brewers player to have back-to-back 30-30 seasons? With uh, that 30-30 season, of course, being 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases uh, in the same season. I'll give you a hint. It's been done um, by uh, three different seasons. Or, yes, I believe it was three different seasons. Um, and one player has done it back-to-back. So there's a hint. Uh, as always, that, that answer will be given at the end of the podcast uh, we'll switch it up by asking David a trivia question and uh, probably get one right. I got a pretty good confidence on him on this one. Uh, but David, let's jump right into our all-time Brewers roster. Again, we'll be uh, sh- sharing five more new players today as we're getting pretty close to, to closing out the full all-time roster. We've got our number one ace starting pitcher. Who do you have there, David? The number one starter, the uh, the best starting pitcher in franchise history, we're going with Ben Sheets. He was a four-time All-Star with the Brewers, uh, 86 wins, 3.72 ERA, and he struck out 1,206 batters, which I believe still holds as the franchise record uh, for most strikeouts in a, a Brewers career. He got some Cy Young votes in 2004 when he was one of the best pitchers in baseball, 2.7 ERA, 237 innings, struck out 10 batters per nine while walking just 1.2. That led to 264 Ks overall. 08, he started the All-Star game in New York and had three shutouts, which tied with teammate CC Sabathia for the lead. And he, with just a few weeks left in the year, uh, was told that essentially if he kept pitching, there was a good chance he was going to blow out his elbow. And he said, I don't care. We have a chance at making the playoffs. I'm going to keep pitching. 
he did keep pitching, and two starts later, he blew out his elbow. The Brewers were able to get to the postseason, though, uh, but uh, an incredible display of his selfless, selflessness and his, his team-first mindset, especially going into a contract year uh, after 2008. Ended up pitching a little bit with Oakland and Atlanta after, but Milwaukee being the main place where uh, he found success on the pitcher's mound. Ben Sheets, our number one starter for the Brewers' all-time roster. Yeah, he has an underrated career, even though, you know, I know that everyone is aware of, of the fact that he was the Brewers' best player during that 2000-2010 decade. He really did, um, He no questions asked, was the best player. Like you said, a gutsy call. I, I'm not sure I'd even make that decision in 2008 when you know that there's a chance that um, your career could be on the line. And really, that's what did happen, unfortunately, with him, is when you take a look at his statistics, really, after that 08 season, he really was not... Uh, close to the same pitcher that effectively ended his career so to think that he sacrificed the remainder of his career to make a playoff appearance with the Brewers in 2008 especially given the fact that you know think about the years he was with the Brewers starting in 01 I believe those early 2000 years uh, that he stuck it out in Milwaukee and finally gets to the point where he's able to make the playoffs with the Brewers in 08 Um, like I said unfortunate that he couldn't appear in the playoffs and like I said really uh, really hurt his career after that but a selfless display from Sheets and a fitting number one spot for him in our uh, all-time roster at the number one spot in our starting rotation. And we've we've shared Josh Hader as our closer, Dan Plezak. We've got Jeremy Jefferson in the bullpen as well, adding another addition to the pen. A good one, uh, good facial hair known for his uh, similar era a little bit after Sheets, starting in 2009 with the Brewers. And that is John Axford, famous closer from that 2011 season which was his best with the Brewers, 46 saves in 2011 across 73 innings, a 1.95 ERA. Um, he was outstanding in 2011, uh, really a lockdown closer, the Josh Hader of that 2011 team. And he had a couple good years with the Brewers. Uh, 2010, the year before, had a 2.48 ERA with 24 saves across 58 innings. And then 2012, 35 saves uh, across 75 appearances, uh, higher ERA that year. Um, and then essentially moved on to, um, I believe it was St. Louis after that, or excuse me, in 2013 after some time with the Brewers. Uh, ultimately, of course, as many of you I'm sure are well aware, circling back after making a comeback in 2021, uh, a 54 ERA in 2021 for Axford, um, just making that one appearance and unfortunately injuring his elbow. Um, but John Axford joining the all-time roster in the bullpen, one of the greats in Brewers history as far as closers, and I, I didn't even mention his uh, success and uh, off-the-field success with uh, movies and uh, selecting the awards. I, it's ridiculous how good he is at that, uh, but regardless, John Axford joining the Brewers uh, on the all-time roster. Yeah, Axford, uh, a 2021 Brewer, I often forget that. Uh, I think in like 10 years, we'll be looking back and saying, oh, I forgot that uh, John Axford was teammates with Aaron Ashby or Devin Williams or some of the younger members of the Brewers, uh, just forgetting his his lone one appearance cameo that he made this year. And and seems like he is done. He, he will retire from the game as he already has done once, I, I guess. Uh, seems like he, he will be done for good. But going over to the position player side of things, We've got our backup catcher. We have Luke Roy as a starter. The backup is going to be Mr. Ted Simmons, Hall of Famer, and was uh, the backstop on the 1982 Brewers that uh, won the American League pennant. Spent five years with the Brewers, uh, hit 262, 311 on base percentage, not outstanding numbers, 
Uh, but he was very good at managing the pitching staff. He was uh, the catcher behind some of the most successful years in franchise history. He led uh, Raleigh Fingers and Pete Vukovic to Cy Young Awards in their first two years with the Brewers. Uh, after actually catching them in St. Louis, uh, he was an all-star twice, including 1983 when he hit 308 and uh, hit, had 108 RBIs. Uh, he had a, a wildly successful career, uh, of course, landing him in Cooperstown eventually last year. And a few of those really good years came as a member of the Brewers uh, in the early 80s. He's going to be our backup catcher, Mr. Ted Simmons. Yeah, Ted Simmons, uh, very uh, excellent career, of course, like you said, getting into the hall recently. Good for him to see, good for the Brewers. Um, a similar player in a similar era in that 70s, 80s mix is George Scott, uh, who was actually acquired by the Brewers in 1971. Uh, the key piece that they gave up for that was their best player in Tommy Harper. Um, he had just come off some good years, an all-star appearance with Boston uh, over about five seasons Came to the Brewers in the 1972 season. He was an all-star in 1975, three-time all-star over his career, eight-time gold glove, 36-win player, according to baseball reference, 271 home runs, um, and a career OPS plus of 114. One of those guys who's not, not quite Hall of Fame, Cooperstown bound level, uh, but an excellent player, excellent defensive first baseman, and played for the Brewers from 1972 to 1976. A bit of a forgotten player. I know they've uh, brought him a little bit to light. I know he had the bobblehead, the Brewers showcased. Uh, a guy like George Scott, if he was on that 82 roster, I think would be uh, much more well-known in Brewers uh, Brewers fans' hearts than he is, given, again, the, the years that he was with the Brewers from 72 to 70 to 76. Uh, but regardless, he was a very good player. Um, I know known for his exceptional defense, but didn't lack uh, the, in the bat either. In 1976, he was traded by the Brewers, along with Bernie Carbo, back to the Red Sox for Cecil Cooper, who obviously was then the, the famous first baseman that Brewers fans will remember for the 82 team. So he had a, a big impact on that 82 roster uh, simply by the fact that, of course, him being traded for Cecil Cooper. But again, George Scott uh, making it on the all-time roster here as a backup infielder. Yeah, you mentioned his defensive prowess. Won a gold glove every year that he was uh, with the Brewers. So that is uh, pretty impressive. And he led the league in total bases two of his years with the crew also. So someone who was, who was excellent on both sides of the ball, George Scott, one of our backup infielders on the all-time roster. And rounding out our, uh, our five players for today is none other than current manager Craig Council. He's going to be the skipper of the, the all-time team. Craig Council, of course, being a former Brewers player as well as manager uh, currently. During his playing career, spent six years with the Brewers compiled uh, 241 batting average, 333 on base percentage, a pretty good clip there, 426 hits, only 13 home runs in six years uh, in a Brewers uniform. So uh, didn't quite have the, uh, the offensive punch, but had a pretty successful career, had to grind it out, didn't have the, the best physical abilities uh, compared to many of the other major leaguers, but he won two World Series, including scoring the winning run in 97 as a member of the Florida Marlins. One again after hitting a game tying sack fly in 2001, and he was he was kind of just seemed to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, was I guess old school people would call him a, a winner. He did what needed to be done uh, for his teams to win, and he was a pretty good utility infielder until his last year when he unfortunately had I think 
a stretch where you went 0 for 40. I hit 178 that year, slugged just 223, but ended up having a, a pretty good, pretty solid major league career. Not, not necessarily good enough to land him on the Brewers all-time roster as a player, but he's had a good enough managerial career to land him on our team. He has 529 wins with the Brewers as a manager, a career 525 winning percentage, which is uh, the best in franchise history among managers who have managed at least three, four years. And uh, he's led them to the playoffs now in four consecutive years, something that no manager had done before. Uh, he's been above 500 for also, I think, four of the uh, four of the years that he's been managing. And he's someone that's been a very pleasant surprise. He's been innovative. Uh, he's brought some of the relievers and he used Dan Jennings as the opener. He bullpened when they needed to. He got them into game seven of the NLCS when talent-wise they were uh, clearly outmatched, outpaced by the much more talented LA Dodgers roster. Uh, but Craig Council doing uh, kind of doing the most with what he's had. Some people around the industry even consider him the best manager in baseball right now. And that's why we're going to have him heading up our Brewers all-time team as the Brewers all-time manager, I guess, the, uh, the most accomplished manager in franchise history. Yeah, he really is, which is a little bit strange to say. And like you said, it does come as a surprise, but he's been um, everything the Brewers could have asked for and then some and certainly deserves to be the Brewers manager. Uh, let's run through. We've actually just got five players left uh, remaining to share. That'll be on our next episode. Um, but so far, the roster, we do now um, have all but one starting pitchers um, released. We've got Ben Sheets, Teddy Higuera, Mike Caldwell, Jim Slayton, and then our fifth starter who will be released next episode. Josh Hader, Dan Plezak, Jeremy Jeffress, and John Axford in the bullpen. Luke Roy and Simmons behind the dish. Uh, Jim Gantner at second, Molitor at third. Backup infielders, George Scott, Jeff Cirillo. And then in the outfield, we've got Braun, Gorman Thomas, and Christian Yelich with Carlos Gomez uh, as a backup outfielder and then Prince Fielder, our DH. So excellent team. Uh, this has been a fun, a fun segment for us. Like I said, final five players to be released. I, I do think you could probably pick out a couple of them that uh, may be there. There might be a Hall of Famer or two that are, have yet to be released. So we'll see if they make the spot. Uh, I know it's a tough competition for a Brewers franchise. But with that, David, let's jump right into our Brewers history lesson. We left off with the Braves declining attendance issues with a roster full of Hank Aaron, uh, Lou Burdett, Warren Spahn coming off the 57 World Series, um, but kind of losing uh, some grounds as far as attendance. And of course, we know what ultimately happens, but I'll let you uh, leave off where we were. Yeah, so the Braves attendance declined into the early 60s. Uh, we left it off. They they won the World Series in 57. They lost in 58. 59, they lost a tiebreaker series with the Dodgers that would have propelled them into the World Series for a third consecutive year. And the attendance continued to decline. Many say that it had something to do with the fact that carry-on carry uh, beer was no longer permitted at County Stadium. Whether that is true, uh, certainly possible. We don't we don't really know that because it also coincided with some of the less successful years. Some people point to maybe a little bit of complacency on the, uh, the, the player side, but they still had some excellent players. Joe Torre, uh, who, of course, we know him as the Hall of Fame manager, but he won an MVP with the Braves later when they were in Atlanta and was really one of the great young catchers in the early 60s with the Milwaukee Braves. Uh, his brother, Frank Torrey, was a pretty good player as well. Uh, they had a number of, of 
good names to surround Hank Aaron, Eddie Matthews, some of the superstars. But unfortunately, um, owner Lou Perini decided that he wanted to sell the team. He no longer really had interest. And he was still a Boston guy, even though he had sold the team, uh, excuse me, brought the team to Milwaukee. So he sold them to uh, an individual from Chicago by the name of Bill Bartholome. Uh, Bartholome actually just passed away this past year, but Bartholome saw greener pastures down in Atlanta, largely untapped market. At that point, the farthest team south was St. Louis, uh, and on the eastern seaboard, it was Washington. So there was really not a lot of um, used territory as far as major league franchises goes. Um, in that in that region in that southeast region and really still today outside of the two Florida teams so he decided that he wanted to pursue this and there really wasn't that much that could be done to stop him uh, there were lawsuits that were, went against him and it actually kept the Braves in town until 1965 instead of 64 but unfortunately after the 1965 season after 13 years of uh, above 500 baseball every single year, attendance that was one of the best in, in Major League Baseball, especially in the earlier years. Uh, the Milwaukee Braves unfortunately became a thing of the past as they took their talents down to Atlanta. Yeah, that was obviously a big loss for the city um, after all those years without uh, a Major League Baseball team. And then, of course, I'm getting a team here. Um, still a lot of history in that short stint. You think about, of course, like I said, that 57, 58, 59, a uh, couple of years where multiple Hall of Famers, four or five Hall of Famers on that roster. A lot of history. Um, fun to see. Even I think it, they covered it um, a little bit in the in the in the C-League experience, maybe just a, a little bit as far as general history. I know it's more focused around uh, some of the things that we'll be jumping into, of course, in 1969 and 1970, where Bud Selig makes more of an appearance. But Certainly no shortage of history um, here in Milwaukee with the Milwaukee Braves. And I'm sure, of course, a lot of Milwaukee, sad to see the Brewers, excuse me, the sad to see the Braves uh, leave in 65, but really wasn't all that long until another professional team was back. So, of course, uh, as many of you know, uh, I don't know if there's anything much to cover between 1965 and 1968, David, before uh, you jump to Seattle. Yeah, there were a few things that happened. Um, you mentioned Bud Selig who started a, an organization called Milwaukee Brewers, Inc. And with that, he and a, a few other people around him sought to bring Major League Baseball back to Milwaukee. And they had a few different methods that they tried to, uh, to get the, the Brewers to come, or excuse me, not the Brewers at the time, I guess, but a Major League Baseball team to come to Milwaukee. They had exhibition games played early in, in 66 and 67. Uh, the White Sox actually played eight home games at County Stadium in 68 and 10 home games in 69. And part of the reason that they did this was because they actually drew significantly better in Milwaukee than they did in their home city of Chicago. So they saw it as an opportunity uh, to maybe get a little bit of extra revenue. And uh, their owner at the time actually was interested in selling the, uh, the White Sox to Selig. And it was likely that they were going to have a deal done. Then his brother decided, no, I want to actually uh, buy the team from you. And so they ended up staying in Chicago. Of course, the White Sox now a pretty successful franchise. And Milwaukee was still left without a team. They sought for 
a new team via the expansion in 1969 in both the American League and National League to no avail. Uh, they, they thought that they were going to get a National League team instead of Montreal. Um, the Expos ended up uh, instead taking their spot and then Seattle got a team along with Kansas City. But Seattle was not really ready for Major League Baseball at the time. They had a minor league stadium that was 30 years old that was deteriorating and they basically threw it together and decided that they were going to try to make it work for a few years before their domed stadium was built. And this really did not work. Um, on opening day, the, the paint was literally still drying on some of the bleachers. So uh, fans got refunded because uh, they had paint, stain, paint stains all over their clothes from sitting on the bleachers that hadn't yet dried. Uh, there, there weren't enough bathrooms. So uh, there were lines that were extending throughout the concourses for uh, about two bathrooms, I think they had in the entire stadium. Uh, they didn't really have a good uh, sewage system. So the stench from the bathrooms would be evident throughout the ballpark. Uh, the, the shower wasn't really able to work if somebody flushed the toilet in the locker room. So there were a lot of issues uh, just structurally. And then as a result, nobody really wanted to go to games. Nobody really wanted to play there. It just wasn't a good operation from the beginning. And they filed for bankruptcy after the 1969 season. They discussed about uh, what their future might look like, uh, looked into some options in Seattle locally, and ultimately decided to negotiate with Selig, who was interested in bringing them to Milwaukee. And after a lot of back and forth legal proceedings uh, and different things of that nature, Selig was able to purchase the team along with some other investors. Some of the big names in uh, Milwaukee, uh, Ed Fitzgerald was one of <clears throat> Cutler Hammer, uh, I know, and uh, some of the other bigger investors around the city, the the, uh, the wealthier guys. Selig actually only owned, I think, about 1% of the ball club, but he was doing much of the work to bring the Milwaukee Brewers alive. And this was only a few days before opening day. They had about a week to prepare for the beginning of the 1970 season. They inherited the players from the pilots. The equipment truck stopped halfway. They didn't know if they were going to Seattle or Milwaukee. Uh, ended up going to Milwaukee, of course. And uh, they got destroyed in their first game against the Angels, lost 12 to nothing. But they had a major league team. Major League Baseball was back in Milwaukee in 1970. Yeah, a pretty cool story. And a lot of people, of course, Bud Selig's got his name all over the, the move from Seattle to Milwaukee. Like you said, interesting to note that he was only about a 1% owner of the ball club at the moment. Um, of course, I know that, of course, things changed over that time period. But essentially, I, I believe the purchase price was around 10 to $11 million for the Seattle Pilots. So Selig putting up, uh, granted this was, you know, decades ago, but still uh, probably putting up in the couple hundred thousand dollars range to be a 1% owner. And uh, the, the, I guess you could call it mover and shaker of the organization, um, moving them to Milwaukee and, you know, starting obviously uh, over 50 year run now with Milwaukee having a major league baseball team, uh, his influence both in Milwaukee, of course, also on the rest of the game um, in his role as commissioner later on uh, really marks him as one of the, the most influential um, people in Brewers history, um, probably in a, a very short list, maybe, maybe, maybe at number one, I think if you think about some of the other guys, Bob Uecker, uh, of course, Robin Yount as well. But if you think about from an influential perspective, he, of course, helped get the team here um, and helped turn them around 
as well into, you know, a, a decent team. So certainly big impact from Bud Selig on the Brewers move to 1970. Yeah, certainly the case uh, seeing the impact of uh, Bud Selig's on Milwaukee baseball and on the Brewers. But after the uh, initial excitement of the fact that they did have a team, the reality set in that they were going to have to find a way to be competitive. Uh, they only won 64 games their first year. Uh, they only drew about 700,000 fans. 1971 was um, kind of similar. Uh, they drew a few uh, around there in, the, in terms of attendance, and attendance continued to drop in 72. Uh, they didn't really make it out of the, the basement or, or second to last in the division until 1978 when they finally were able to put things together. But those years were a little bit dry uh, between 1970 and 77. Uh, and in fact, we were mentioning how quick the turnaround was uh, going from Seattle to Milwaukee. They didn't have time to make new uniforms. They merely unstitched uh, pilots and put on brewers. They actually were planning on making the colors navy and red uh, to honor the old minor league brewers, but they didn't have time, so they just kept them as, as blue and yellow, and we still uh, know them as blue and yellow. I, in fact, uh, perhaps we'd be the bleeding blue and red podcast uh, had they had a little bit more time in 1970 uh, to, to make that switch. But they were, they were a team that really didn't have much of an identity. They were playing in a county stadium and uh, had a roster that really didn't have any notable names at the time. They had Del Crandall uh, managing the team. They acquired a few players that uh, were of note. Daryl Porter was a catcher who ended up having a solid career and unfortunately winning 1982 World Series MVP as a, man, as a member of the Cardinals. George Scott, we talked about earlier in the episode. Don Money had a, a very successful run with the Brewers and they brought up a young 18-year-old shortstop in 1974, who I'm sure many of you are familiar with, Robin Yount, who ended up having, of course, a career that is widely regarded as the greatest in franchise history. Uh, and there were a lot of growing pains for Yount and for the rest of the roster. Uh, even they, they brought in Aaron, Hank Aaron, in 1975. Uh, they drew 300,000 more fans in 75 than they did the previous year with a similar ball club, but uh, still weren't able to find much success on the field. Uh, and they continued to build up some talent. They drafted uh, a guy named Paul Molitor out of the University of Minnesota. They drafted Jim Gantner out of UW Oshkosh uh, in the mid-70s as well. Gorman Thomas was the first ever first-round pick of the franchise in 1969. They acquired Ben Ogilvie a little bit later in the 80s. Mike Caldwell was uh, acquired via trade in the mid-70s as well. So the pieces were starting to come together for a successful roster. And that kind of culminated in 1978 uh, when they, they actually made the switch to the legendary M&B ball and glove logo. Uh, they won 93 games. Mike Caldwell finished runner-up for the Cy Young. Sal Bando and Larry Heisel were brought in as key free agent additions, uh, and they were really the two best offensive players on the team. So they were starting to finally find some relevancy uh, going into the late 70s, and that kind of culminated uh, with the 1980 winter meetings when they swung one of, if not perhaps, the biggest trades in franchise history. Yeah, that was certainly a big trade. And even you mentioned the sort of nondescript 1970s decade. There isn't a lot to remember. You did mention a couple of names and some good seasons. Uh, like you said, I, 
I think a lot of people underscore Don Money's career as a brewer, over 36 wins above replacement, according to baseball reference. I know, of course, known as an excellent defender, um, but had multiple good years with the Brewers, two five-plus win seasons, one in 74 and one in 77. And of course, played a little bit of perhaps a smaller role in the 82 team amidst uh, some of the other Hall of Famers um, and All-Stars on that roster. But he had a couple good years. Like you said, George Scott, who we mentioned previously, even Tommy Harper, his 1970 year uh, prior to the trade to Boston, had a 7.4 win season, was excellent that year, and was the Brewers' first All-Star. Uh, but like you said, really that, that whole decade, um, you don't see a lot until 78, and all of it really is culminating into building the roster that really became known as the 82 team uh, that we all know and love. Um, of course, Mike Caldwell, Robin Yount, um, even Ted Simmons' um, future acquisition. Uh, why don't you break down that trade um, before we before we go? Yeah, so in December of 1980, the, uh, the winter meetings were going on. Whitey Herzog, general manager and manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, was looking to make some trades. He uh, acquired Daryl Porter, former brewer. We, we brought him up earlier uh, to become a catcher on the team. And he wanted to move Ted Simmons to first base. And the only problem with this was they had Keith Hernandez at first, who was and still is maybe the the best defensive first baseman ever that's ever played baseball. And Ted Simmons thought, well, this isn't really worth it. They would have had to move Keith Hernandez to the outfield. Simmons didn't like playing first. He wanted to still catch. They brought in Raleigh Fingers. They traded for him from San Diego. They already had Bruce Suter on the back end of the bullpen. And Fingers thought, well, I wonder who's going to be the closer. Uh, Didn't really make sense. He was kind of acquiring talent without really knowing what to do with it. And Harry Dalton, uh, the Brewers general manager, saw a few needs on the ball club. They already had a really good team. Of course, we know many of the members, but Cecil Cooper, Jim Gantner, Yount and Molitor all in the infield. They had Don Money still as a, as a designated hitter, Ogilvy and Gorman Thomas in the outfield, but they needed a catcher and they needed some pitching. So Herzog decided to swing a trade, traded those three veterans, Finger Simmons and Pete Bukovic, who ended up winning the Cy Young in 82, for some young prospects that uh, actually didn't really end up turning out to become great players, David Green and Dave LaPointe. Uh, at the time, actually, many of the Brewer scouts said that David Green was going to be the reason the Brewers regretted the trade. Uh, now looking back, uh, it seems like Brewers probably don't regret that trade. Uh, he had one year where he was a, about an average player and only played six years in the major leagues. Dave LaPointe had a, a short run as a, as a successful major leaguer, uh, 12 years in total. Uh, and they traded Sixto Lascano, who had been their best player over the past couple of years in the late 70s, and uh, actually got some MVP votes in 1979. So coming off uh, a successful year for Lascano, Larry Sorensen, who had seen some success for the Brewers, uh, actually making an all-star appearance, they gave up some real talent for these three members of the team, but it, it really rounded out the roster uh, with, with three legitimate veterans who would uh, be able to push them perhaps past uh, the point of being a, a, an above average team and into the postseason. And that kind of came together in 81 when during the split season, uh, the players strike in the middle of the year, the Brewers were able to make it to the postseason. They lost in five games in the ALDS to the Yankees, but the players knew that there was a lot more in store. They knew that 
there was a lot more that was going to happen ahead of them. And they really had a talented roster that was going to be able to compete for a World Series. Uh, Raleigh Fingers won the MVP and Cy Young Award in 1981. Uh, Robin Yount had his best year that he had up to that point. And the Brewers were really firing on all cylinders going into 82. Uh, that's where we're going to leave it off for today. Uh, of course, we know that the Brewers had a lot of success in 82. We'll dive into that a little bit uh, as, we, as we look into, uh, I guess, part four of the Brewers history lesson next time. Uh, but they, there's a lot of setup going into that 82, uh, 82 season and the success they had. And I wanted to uh, give a little bit of details and background on that before we uh, headed into that for next time. Yeah, absolutely. I think a, a good place to leave off, it, it is sort of that pinnacle uh, Brewers franchise history at this point. I feel like we just uh, exited a time capsule there uh, of the 1970s and 19, early 1980 Brewers. Let's circle back to our trivia question. Uh, who is the only Brewer player to have back-to-back 30-30 seasons? I'm going to go with one of the all-time greats, the, the more recent greats, Ryan Braun as a uh, the only member of the consecutive year 30-30 club in Brewers history. That is correct. Ryan Braun doing so in 2011 and 2012. Of course, 2011 being that MVP season. Um, I forget that he had 30-plus steals in in both those seasons. He was more of a base runner in his prime uh, than the Ryan Braun that we remember um, in that sort of 2013-2014 and on period. But Braun being the only player to have back-to-back 30-30 seasons, the only other player in Brewers franchise history to have even just a 30-30 season uh, being Tommy Harper, who we touched on today, uh, the Brewers' first All-Star in 1970. He had 31 home runs and 38 steals that year, uh, also was sixth in MVP. Um, he had a, a very solid career, uh, but just short two short years with the Brewers. And again, Ryan Braun, our answer to today's trivia question. Again, David, uh, wrapping up here today, not too much in current baseball news, but still fun to go through our all-time Brewers roster and Brewers history lesson. I'm not sure that we'll have too much new news uh, coming up on our next episode, but any final thoughts here as we close out today's podcast? Well, the Oakland Athletics hired a new manager, and that is former Brewer Mark Kotze. I was looking back at uh, some of the, the recent Brewers are now becoming managers. Of course, Craig Council, we've talked about him and uh, of course, he manages the hometown uh, Brewers. But in addition to him, we've got Gabe Kapler managing over in San Francisco. Now, uh, Mark Kotze uh, taking the reins as, as manager out in, uh, out in Oakland. Uh, you have to wonder maybe who might uh, the next one be. Uh, we've seen you know Jonathan Lucroy uh, as a, a potential candidate maybe uh, now as he, as he goes past retirement. Uh, and a number of other other uh, brewers around the game. Joe Dillon was a hitting coach over the last couple of years. Dave Bush, the pitching coach of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, kind of have to wonder who will be next. And uh, maybe the brewers, I guess, are just um, better at developing coaches. They've, they're good at developing pitching. We know uh, perhaps they're, they're uh, making a name for themselves, developing future coaches. Well, you know, they, they always say the best players never make the best coaches. So I guess the Brewers are, are good at, at bringing in not the best players. Um, I guess that's, that's the way it goes. What do you think about Jim Edmonds? I know he was, of course, not known as a Brewer in his career, but was certainly a gamer around, around the league. I, I could see him at least being a position coach uh, or something to that nature in the next couple of years. I could see it. Uh, I know that um, he's been controversial at times. Uh, had a little bit of off the field stuff that perhaps uh, maybe could prevent him from 
uh, becoming a manager in, in some respect. Um, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Edmonds at some point uh, becoming a coach, a manager. Uh, he's somebody who's uh, one of the great baseball minds. Yeah, it is interesting to see. We'll see. Luke Wright is an interesting one. Like you said, it feels like he was just playing with the Brewers a couple years ago. Um, and, of course, hasn't been uh, gone from his playing days for long. Um, but we're seeing that, of course, more common at this point. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, who the next Brewers player is. Like you said, it, it does seem like the Brewers have a knack for creating managers, whatever. Whatever that means, if that just means that they have not that good talent, uh, I don't know what it is. But regardless, we'll see. We'll have it covered as soon as Jonathan LeCroy is hired as a coach or manager somewhere. Um, but, again, as we wrap up today, Brian Braun, our answer to today's trivia question, the only Brewer player to have back-to-back 30, 30 seasons. Next episode will be our final uh, release of the Brewers' all-time roster. We'll have the complete roster break down those five players uh, and go through the whole roster and then continue off, uh, cover that 1982 season, that magical year, of course, in Brewers history. And if there does happen to be any news, and uh, maybe we'll, we'll at least have the news that the Players Association and MLB has – met that would be probably a win um if that's uh news at our next episode uh but we'll continue to, to keep having you covered all things brewers here as we muddle through the off season and approach what should be a very exciting 2023 season for the brewers and as always i will sign off with go brewers thank you for listening to the bleeding blue and yellow podcast please take a moment to rate and review our show on whichever platform you're listening on If you enjoyed it, consider supporting us through the link down below. See you next time.